Married to who? Welcome to Married to Who, podcast where a couple of couples watch Doctor Who for the very first time. My name's Jake, with me are Cody Sam, Jill, Alex, and producer Terry. This week we're here to talk about Kerblam! That's how you have to say it, by the way. There's an exclamation mark. Written by Pete McTeague, directed by Charlie Duffy, aired November 18th, 2018. Jill, what'd you think? It was the worst episode of Doctor Who ever. Oh, no. <laughs> no, there hey, were... Hey, what's up, Jill? What's... <laughs> hey, welcome! There were ideas and concepts that I was really excited about and I thought would be really neat. And then it all just went downhill. And then it made me hate the whole season up till now. So I'm, I'm feeling real bad about this one. Suck it, McTeague. <laughs> all right, Cody, what'd you think? This episode was generally garbage. It's real stupid. Whoever wrote this should probably be ashamed. Put that one in the back. It was it was fine. It was fine to watch, but the story makes me so mad at how terrible it is. It's a bad Doctor Who story. Everybody acted great. They did the best with what was written. <laughs> Move along. Nothing to see here. Papers. Sam? I thought it was pretty good. The ending was terrible, but... The storyline was fun to follow and watch them explore. Terry? I enjoyed it greatly. Um, I thought it had a great amount of mystery to it. I was guessing the entire time trying to figure out if I could figure it out before the doctor did. Uh, didn't, though. It You really didn't do a lot of character development, and it was like a really nice, just fun adventure thing with the entire uh, TARDIS crew. And I just, I really enjoyed it a lot. Okay, I'm going to ask a question. I want you guys just to answer it quickly and not bring up the episode, because then we got to go to Alex. In a mystery in general, is it better if it's impossible to figure out because the solution, like, you never had a chance of guessing, oh, it's the computer sending it? Or is it better if it's something, or like, if you do guess what it is? I think it's better that we, the second one, like if you guess it aren't you kind of bummed it's no no because there's things that the characters don't know and now you are an actor in the show just trying to get them to you know figure shit out i think it's more of a if it's way too obvious of a thing and you figure it out within like the first half hour of the movie then yeah it's a pretty shitty suspenseful mystery but if it's you watch it and you don't see it coming but you could have guessed it and like through a second rewatch you're like seeing all of the subtle clues that went through then yeah that's a pretty fucking brilliant film because it's like you should have been able to pick up on this but you were fooled by all of these normal ass tropes that we normally throw into every other mystery so you're silly has anyone watched pretty little liars because That show pissed me off. It was like nine seasons, and the ending was impossible to guess, and I just got really mad. Right. Here's what I don't like about mysteries. When they develop the story so that everything points to one answer, so that you're like, well, obviously it's not that answer, because everything says it is. But then at the end, it's just like, just kidding, here it is. And there was, like, really no clue or hint or really good story developed to make it be so. Um, so because this had a girl from Bridgerton in it, in Bridgerton, the person who's like the secret person in it is kind of obvious, pretty like maybe about halfway through. Um, but it doesn't feel like a letdown when it's revealed that that's who it is. It's just like, oh, yeah, of course, like that's who it had to be. And that's what I loved about Bridgerton is that at the end, it's like, yep, absolutely it is. But if they would have picked other people, it also could have been like, yep, that makes sense. Like, it's yeah. just a really well-developed story yeah and even if you guessed wrong as long as you're like like those are the best ones if you guess wrong but when you see the resolution you're like oh yeah all the clues were there i just picked the wrong one 
Okay, Alex, what'd you think about this one? Uh, I was trying to remember how I felt the first time we watched it, and I think it's the no, same. If only you had recorded your thoughts yeah. immediately after watching it, <laughs> well, you could I easily go check it out. I didn't want to go like listen to it, but uh, I, I think it's the same where it's bad with good bits. Like, and also at the time, I think Amazon... Gimmick infringement. Yeah, sorry. Gimmick infringement. <laughs> Uh, I think at the time it was going like the world also was Amazon was going through its whole like human rights thing. Right. And um, never stopped. When is Amazon not? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it was like big in the news at this time when this aired. Yeah. No. So I like that aspect of it. um, Like bringing a light to that type of stuff. Plus like got down with the machines like the Luddites episode from Classic Who that we watched Jake. It's like that type of stuff i, I kind mark of enjoy of the Rani. sometimes yeah mark of the Rani. For, anyone, for anyone listening he's referencing mark of the Rani. yep uh yeah i don't know it for the most part it was trash but there were some good pieces <laughs> in there i liked hey jake hey what what did you think oh let me tell you so i think the first time i was around this time in the season becoming a little more positive now that we had a couple in a row that weren't written by Chibnall. And so I was kind of getting more of a feel of like the overall direction the show was going. So I didn't love it, but I wasn't super negative. Watching it today, however, I discovered something new that made me absolutely love this episode. Oh no. And that is that this is actually a dark comedy. It's cynical as fuck. Pete Mateague obviously has, like, some horrible experience working in retail. And it's just a black comedy all throughout. And it's, like, super mean. And if you look at it through that lens, it's fucking hilarious. Is that it's why not I a like Doctor Who so episode, much? but it's great. Which, so who is this person? The Pete Mateague? The writer? Oh, shit. Okay, I don't know that. Okay, no, he's trash. <laughs> it's terrible. I didn't look at it through that lens, but from the lens that I looked at it through. You mean the back of your eyelids? Sometimes. <laughs> some some portion. This is, like, this episode is kind of a potential future. Like, if there's a huge, like, a big enough corporation that can just buy a moon to make it their warehouse, you just assume that corporation is going to be evil. And now that I'm thinking about it, like, that was the whole red herring the whole time is you thought, the company was going to be the bad guys, but really everyone works there is depressed. And it was just one guy that was bad. Not everybody. Well, that's kind of what I liked about this episode too, was like immediately you think it's the two head people. And it's like, Oh, they're screwing everything up. It's going to be nothing but purple lamb man everywhere. That I didn't think that I thought, I thought the lady, the head of people, whatever her name was. Yeah. I thought she was Judy. great. She was she was on the mark, and I liked her. And yeah, I didn't think she was evil one second. The other guy no. I did, but that's just because he's wearing a pinstripe suit. What do you What are you supposed to? Expect? <laughs> well, he's a weasley little bitch man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> who like had no bearing of being in the episode at all. He's just a dude who's like, he, he was the obvious red. He was herring. a red herring. One hundred percent. But along the lines of uh, any sort of suspense whatsoever. That's the most obvious, not the fucking bad guy I've ever seen. <laughs> it's every Agatha Christie novel. It's every <laughs> mystery movie. It's Terry loves Clue. It's Clue. Yeah, that's what I liked about this too. Was like you had both those figures, and they both had dark sides to them. That you could go like maybe it's a possibility that like they just want to get rid of people and have whatever. And then you had the whole help me sign, and. Then it's like, oh shit, like all these Kablam men are taking the people. And I honestly thought they were doing like a um, Cyberman thing and that the people were actually turning into the Kablam robots. That's Uh, robotsist. Sorry. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, robophobic. Robophobic. Oh, robophobic. Robophobic. (laughs) But then it, like, another major twist in that it's the system itself is asking for help from the doctor. Because it's people who are doing it. And, like, just adding those bigger twists. Like, the entire time, I thought it was the robots that were the the issue here. But then it turns out that they were trying to solve their own problem 
through yeah. murder. Yeah. But yeah. You're just describing what happened. Uh, I know, but it was so good. That's why I <laughs> well, like it. Well, let so me much. ask you a question then. Uh, we talked about this last season. The TARDIS wiki referenced an episode this season that was pro capitalism. Do you think this episode is pro capitalism? Fuck no. Uh, it never, like, said it's good. Like, it never really resolved in a pro-capitalism feel to me. I, I but don't that, think that's it, a big criticism of this episode. Can it be neutral capitalism? Yeah, I don't like, think capitalism company, was really part of it. The company wasn't wrong, but they weren't right. I mean, a company itself does not capitalism make. Like, it's... As, as opposed to, like, taking a side on capitalism, you could say it's just, like, succumb to the fact that it is what drives this place's economy and what are you going to do about it? They, there is a line at the end that's very... Well, it's it's not pro or anti-capitalism, but it... Um, I know I got to find where the fuck I wrote it. I took so many notes, I had such a good time. Um... Saying that the system isn't the problem, it's the people exploiting the system that is the problem. So, you know, a criticism of this is that that's pro-capitalism, but... I would say that's anti-capitalism. Well, it's anti-evil people. Right. Like, any any economic structure on paper works. Like, socialism, capitalism, communism. Right. Yeah. They work in a bubble, but they're run by people, and people ruin everything. That's the point of this episode. Yeah, so I wouldn't say it's pro or negative either way. It's it might you could say it's anti automation. Uh I wouldn't even say that. Like I felt this one was like if if it had to be pro anything, it was pro automation and pro technology development with human ethics tied in. No, I don't think it's pro automation. It brought up like the the percentage of people who have jobs like a hundred no, times and the solution shit, at the end was we're bringing in more people. That shit bothered me. Like his whole reasoning didn't make any sense. <laughs> we talked about that in our podcast. Yeah. Like he said, he said out of the company, 10% of, of all departments need to be human. What about the other 90? That's not the other 90 of the human population. Only 10,000 people work here. Like that's right. not a lot. And so there's yeah, got to be only, other jobs. Well, there's other there's other companies, Alex. But he does say only 10% of people get to work, which isn't true. Every company has to have 10% of its right. workforce yes. be people. Yes. So if there's a enough companies, everyone gets to have a job. So like I guess the percentage of people that have to work. Right. Well, no, it's, I don't think it is. I, I think it's anti-automation and it's pro-human labor. <laughs> like it's just a... I don't think it says anything about capitalism at all, just because the giant corporation turned out not to be the bad guy this time. Yeah. So that's another point I wanted to bring up is, so like, unless you worked at a place like this, you might not see the humor in it, like the dark humor in it. So like the funniest shot to me is when the computer says like, oh, you have to take like a mandatory break in the home zone. And then it just cuts to like this super green fake looking park and everyone in their multicolored vests just looking absolutely <laughs> miserable in this beautiful location. It was my favorite thing because that's how those giant corporations are. Like, God forbid they put any resources into the people working. They just like make this fabricated bullshit to make your environment look nice, even though nobody gives a fuck and everybody's miserable. Yeah. I can't imagine changing your company's policies because one guy who <laughs> right <laughs> you decided organics are kind of a problem. That's why they're only 10% of your company. They're either unaffordable or you can't trust them. And here you go. You have one organic and he just kills a ton of people and threatens to blow up all of your customers. Yes, but it seems it, like there's a, I, a, a it was going to be like thousands of people. It was going to be thousands. A lot more. Yeah. And because <laughs> of that, you're going to change your entire business model to include more of them. You had a 10 percent sample size and one of them was a fucking lunatic. And now you're going to make it a 100 percent sample size. Yeah, well, that, that's another funny thing is so like 
they decide, you know, Team TARDIS, that it's the system that produced this terrorist or revolutionary, as one of our tweeters says, uh, depending on which side you're on. But at the end, uh, Judy, the head of people, says, oh, I'm going to recommend that we increase the human workforce. And everyone's like, great. And they all leave. It's like, no one was ever going to listen to Judy. <laughs> like, the second <laughs> the second this is over, she's fired. And that other dude's fired. Everyone's fired. They're bringing in more computers. Yeah, that's surprising they didn't, like, blow up the moon they were in. Because the whole core was full of those delivery guys, right? Yeah, I, know, I thought that explosion would have done more. When I realized that she teleported into a different part of the building, I was like, you dumb... You're so dead. <laughs> like the lobby. <laughs> like the bomb, it's coming. It's working its way up. You're about to be blown to shit. <laughs> but that was a baffling way to resolve the story that is like, okay, yeah, this dude who tried to kill us all was right. Let's change it so nobody else tries that. No, they're just going to automate their uh, their HR intake and uh, check for mental illness. Well, maybe do a better vetting of the people doing your medial tasks and don't hire somebody with in-depth <laughs> knowledge of robotics, cybernetics, and explosives and put him into your maintenance Yeah, division. where's that school? Can I go well, to there? He lied. He said he lied on his application, but they didn't, like, test him or anything like that. <laughs> ah, the classic unbeatable lie. <laughs> I worked with a guy this year that lied on his application, and when his background check came back, he got fired. <laughs> like, they, why are they doing background checks? Do That's you a have point. a felony on your record? No. <laughs> okay. Well, I just did a quick Google search, and you you're, you have a Supreme Court <laughs> trial right here for a violent assault. That that was that's a different. Sam, what you got? Whole lot of nothing. What I you had... said? You like this episode. Yeah, that's why I don't have anything to say about it. <laughs> you got any funny lines you liked? I didn't write any down. I should have. I didn't. You want to talk about Graham calling Charlie Cockle the whole time? I was trying to figure out what the hell he was saying. <laughs> I actually don't remember that. Sorry, Graham. You should be sorry. <laughs> Graham is the guy who usually has some interesting stuff to say had nothing interesting to say in this episode uh, he was pure comic relief in this one quite a bit yeah like when the the dude stomped the transmitter or whatever you want to call it remote control for the robots and the doctor is attempting to save it Graham is like oh I hope you could do something about that camera pans away what? <laughs> joe what you got i do like the sort of the banter and some of the character development um i like having the bigger tardis team um so they can go off and form their own little relationships and we can like develop characters that way that's kind of fun i like the pull to thinking it's going to be a system error the whole time Alex especially liked that when we were watching it together because you want it to be the the technology or the system that's gone corrupt, but it isn't. Like, it's it's humans behind the system, and there's some sort of line on that. Do you have that written down? Uh, yeah, we talked about it earlier, the how people use and exploit the system is the problem. And why are the robots so creepy looking? What do you did, mean? It's they got that, a smile. Uh, did they they're have smiling. to make them? Uncanny Valley thing. Like, they're a little too human, but not human enough, so they're creepy. Yeah, because they, like, don't blink, so then when they, like, pan over, like, it's just got, yeah, it's got that creepy feel to it. I, I really liked the twist of the system trying to save itself after that whole pull of, like, wanting it to be the system gone wrong, but turns out it's the system really well developed and doing things really well. I yeah. just really hate that it comes down to like a dude who's has mental illness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I must have been taking notes. Like what was his what was he upset about again? Just the general lack of employment? Yeah, he was he was mad about the ten percent, ninety percent thing. Like that was his main yeah. crux. But obviously not. Like that's not gonna cause you to mass murder. 
I like, think he had way part, more going on than that. The part that made it really not hit home in any way, shape, or form is like we never saw these ninety percent. Like if we would have seen all these people desperate for jobs, and there's this company that's like, "Fuck it, we'll do the bare minimum," then I think we have more of a story because we have an right. environment where the scene is set. Uh, you know, maybe they don't have the time for it or whatnot, but I think it's kind of important if that's the message they're trying to get across is that this is bad. And one of our Twitter friends kind of brings that up in a way, mentioning that like this whole season kind of feels apart from the rest of the universe in like a story like this there's five people in it and it's supposed to be this giant gap or it's a whole galaxy that's affected by this company and you see absolutely none of it which maybe the original script had stuff like that and it's just uh this is the cheap one so we can't do that could it did feel like a a cheap one the the setting feels very claustrophobic um we also see too many good stories i think to like really get the feel of how bad it is like the 10 percent is like the dad you know is obviously away from his kid but apparently he had an issue with his ex-wife and you know it's not totally like i hate my job thing it's like i'm doing this for my child and like for a better life yeah and then kira like obviously work was important to her and it was like a good story from those two perspectives or is it a good thing to be working there? So it's I thought kind of nice job a weird is all twist. She has. I took Kira's story as being like putting on a good Incredibly face, but being, sad. being very sad. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. But this is all she has. Like and literally, she, it's all she has. She had good character yeah. development, so that was one character we got to see develop a little bit. Into what? Yeah. <laughs> but that's oh, that's Jesus. what I like about this story is that it's so cynical. The two people that we like, um, Kara and um, Lee Max character, they're like you see oh, Lee Max and he's like got this necklace that says "Dad" and, and he as soon as you see that you're like oh well he's dead, and then Kira's like the sweetest person in the world who's had this horrible life and she still has like really high spirits and she dies and that's that's why I think this episode's hilarious. It's because it's You're really a terrible person. <laughs> so great. Got it. But it's <laughs> well, I, I think it's just really cynical and mean. And I think that sometimes that's really fun. Not all the time, then it's just depressing. Like that's why I don't watch Broad Church. I don't want to be bummed out <laughs> the whole time. But once in a while it's fun. So Charlie, I think I'm understanding his point of view as to why he wants to be so radical with his decision. Um, I don't think it was like a mental illness he had, but more of just radical thinking that he wasn't thinking everything through clearly. <laughs> and anyone who murders a bunch of people has a mental uh, illness. Yeah, isn't radical thinking kind of a mental illness? Okay, fine. It's a... <laughs> Everyone knows if you have a problem, you just got to storm the Capitol and everything's fine. <laughs> it fixes things. It changes, it changes things. It's, it's not... But, like, destroying a company from within by having, like, a horrible PR situation by having it accidentally kill a bunch of its customers isn't going to do anything. Like, some company is just going to take its place. Like, I'm sure there's other smaller companies that do the same job that would suddenly quadruple in size overnight with Kerb Lamb going under. Yeah, and this guy is apparently heavily educated like he's got a bunch of degrees <laughs> right. and shit like yeah use your degrees run for office and yeah. change the laws yeah change that's, some shit in meaningful yeah. ways you know hashtag mental illness true yeah he's got his whole life ahead of him he'd rather just blow up who wrote this yeah as you say he does not have his life in front of him <laughs> because he exploded it's all over the wall he easily could have just jogged to the doctor right? and teleported with them but he didn't yeah he uh he died an angry virgin <laughs> oh damn you gotta include <laughs> he's that he's an huh? incel <laughs> he's an incel oh no okay side note i really yeah. loved the scene with all the conveyor belts that was a lot of fun Oh, yeah. the, when the he CGI high fives Charlie off the conveyor belt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it doesn't stop there. And then this... he jumps onto the other conveyor belt while 
covering his eyes. The CG was so bad, though. I could not. <laughs> I I couldn't with that scene. That was, that was peak, like, like just Doctor Who on a whimsy, like, scene. It was yeah, great. I loved Very it. Very much. It was so out of place. It was. It was yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm kind of with Sam on the CGI. It was a little bit too much, but it was... You'd like yeah okay as Bad. Alex was saying it's like Doctor Who levels of Jesus Christ <laughs> yeah well I like how they come out the other side and you know there's like those uh, de- decontamination lasers and shit like that and then there's just like they come off the conveyor belt and there's like a, someone threw a small bag of garbage in the corner to be like, oh, this is where all the bad stuff goes. <laughs> and then they're just in a parking lot that they painted the floor of. <laughs> and like, it's the weirdest transition from like this crazy CGI shot to you're just in a car park. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was weird. I did. I, I liked the lead up to that scene though, where like, uh, where they're like, oh, we'll we'll get to we'll get to her. You guys figure out your thing. And Ryan's like, we're gonna go break some rules and like strolls off like big macho man. But then when he's at the shoot, just immediately pusses out and is just like, oh, I don't know, I'm I have this thing. <laughs> I do think it's weird with Ryan that we saw his like disability the very first episode we see him in, or maybe second, but whatever. We see it right away, and now he talks about it, but it's never evident. Well, speaking of the very small pile of garbage, he's the only one out of the three of them that falls. <laughs> God damn it! Jake. When they like step off the conveyor belt, I'm not saying Ryan's a small piece of garbage. Oh, I'm saying I thought he fell into that small pile of garbage. That's how you notice it. I thought that's what you meant. <laughs> but everyone should probably fall coming off that conveyor belt, so I don't fault him. Yeah, for but that. they're well coordinated. They're overly coordinated. It's an oversight. <laughs> I do like that line, though. You brought this up, Jill, um, where they're about to jump down the chute. And Yaz goes, you did this at your last job? And Ryan says, yeah. And she goes, how'd it go? He goes, very badly. <laughs> <laughs> Just deadpan Ryan voice. It's so good. One, one last favorite line, then I'll let you guys go on. The very end, when... You know, they've survived and they're leaving and the doctor just says the slogan of Kerblam, but she's completely defeated and sad looking. And it's just, um, well, it's if you want it, Kerblam it. And she's just got this like terrible, just sad, defeated look on her face. And it's hilarious. That's because she loves Kerblam. She got her fez from Kerblam. Yeah. The doctor's just a dirty consumer. We found out today. (laughs) I liked, uh when they were all blowing up like you heard that too it's like remember if you like something kablam it or whatever as it's exploding i thought that was pretty cool (laughs) does anyone else watch the amazon tiktoks like the amazon packaging tiktoks i don't think i've ever seen one oh they're fascinating like i i could watch them all day it's like the technology involved is amazing like the technology involved at kablam is much lesser than (laughs) <laughs> the Amazon TikTok technology. Yeah. That I kind of believe, yeah. But I think that's why I find this episode so funny is because I worked in places like that. And they are sad. <laughs> and I like it that everyone was sad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that okay, so the seed was very much set for Jake. Yeah, we're we're getting <laughs> we're learning a lot about well are we learning a lot about jake confirming yeah, Alex is all mr computer boy and he's all like yay automation fuck the people <laughs> and i'm all no, like look at all I these said poor people <laughs> automation requires people to run like you just no, need to you're educate. the you're the one percent we know it's cool hey if i could get the money like the one percent i'm fine <laughs> hey fuck all you guys like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> same man same. Y'all, y'all could bitch at me while i'm on my yacht yeah like you're not gonna yeah. sit there and say no nah, i don't want to be one percent it like everyone wants to be one percent everybody's anti-capitalism yeah. you could just cry into the ether i i ain't gonna hear it i ain't even on twitter i'm on rich people twitter you don't even know about it yeah <laughs> uh okay i should read some tweets we gotta load yeah Loads? i thought you were gonna oh, read them as you were mentioning them but you never did i was just so happy to talk about how <laughs> upsetting this episode is <laughs> well and it was funny because jill put a discord uh what did you say like you hate like 
spoiler, you, you hate it or yep. something like that? I'm annoyed. You're annoyed? Yeah, annoyed. Yeah, and then Jake's tweet was just like, I'm excited. Everyone hates it. <laughs> no, I just said yes, because I love it when Jill gets passionate about any episode for any reason. <laughs> All right. Passion Fruit Send a Jar Candle at B underscore Bird underscore Moth says, Pretty good until the end, which I despise. Could have been a great and very relevant satire slash critique of Amazon and similar companies, but to have the real villain be the abused worker and not... The Poe Whittle Company, who needs protection from him, was a horrible idea. I could have forgiven it if the Doctor was given a clever way of talking the man down from it, exploring how in a lot of ways he's the victim of the story, but nah, she just kills him. The planet-wide abusive company gets a little slap on the wrist and promises to be better. <laughs> That's my kind of comedy is right that, there. Is that the, so is that the like pro-capitalism view? Is that why? That must yeah. be it. Okay. So, to kind of stay with the same feeling, Cindy, not that Cindy yet needs more yarn, says, hmm, the Amazon analogy. Ryan gets to show off his ability to overcome his disability. That was all capitalized. <laughs> the bad guy blows himself up. Systems aren't the problem. People are the problem. Did I remember that right? Christ. No, you did not. People are the solution. <laughs> the problem bad people and are the, the solution. People ruin mathematical principles by being assholes people are just generally bad i mean that's most of doctor who episodes <laughs> i right. i yeah i agree i i work that's, in the that's perfect a lot of industry. science fiction too or like if you watch a season of 24 like they it's always like in the first two episodes they have to catch the bad guy and so it's like a Middle Eastern person that they think is the, a terrorist. But then it turns out he wasn't even the bad guy. He was just hired by this uh, this Russian to th make us think it was terrorist. But it's this Russian who's trying to do it to subvert the government. And then at the midway point of the season, they catch him. And then they find out it wasn't even him. He was hired by this white guy in D.C. who was just doing it for money. <laughs> and that's every season of 24. There's always just some rich asshole behind everything. I thought you were going to say some white guy in D.C. who runs the country. <laughs> it, it is, yeah. It's always like a senator who's doing it to like, Ugh. so they can get some law changed so that he can get his money from the lobbyists. Man, that's just wild. <laughs> All right. O underscore Ali at O underscore Ali says, this is such a fun episode, even if its message gets a bit lost by the denouement. Yes, that word again, Jake. Fuck you, Ollie. And it's always <laughs> one I enjoy rewatching. I like the mystery slash conspiracy aspect of the story. Having the Doctor infiltrate and investigate somewhere I always find fun. And the team dynamic works so well in this world. Splitting them up gives everyone something to do and gives different aspects of the story so much depth. The opening is great. The Kerblam Man in another of Who's Cute But Creepy Robots. And the callback to Eleven is brilliant too. Jody is channeling a little of Twelve in that scene to me. The guest actors in this are wonderful. The whole cast really makes it such an enjoyable story. Lee Mack plays Dan so well, touches the comedy in the dramatic role, managing to make the scenes he has so touching, as well as light and funny. Letting the impact of his loss hit home more for the audience as well as yes. Julie Hesmontla, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but that's what it seems like, plays Maddox really well, making her sympathetic but still giving us questions about her. And the scene of her defending Charlie is great too. It's always fun to have someone do something that unexpected. Spade is almost immediately an obvious red herring, but he's still played so well as a suspicious suspicious controlling character. And even though it's expected, the reveal of his innocence works really well. The team having assigned roles is a good idea. The comedy of Graham having to work maintenance is great. And Jody played the Doctor's disappointment at the shoots being off limits in the funniest way. I think Terry lolled at that point. And the pairing of the team with different characters really works. The Kira and Charlie relationship is really nice. It's cute and realistically awkward and portrayed like a proper relationship, especially the oblivious conversation between Graham and Charlie. Kira's death, it autocorrected to Korea. Kira's death is a little predictable, but still heartbreaking. The suddenness of it is brutal, and Charlie's reaction just adds to that. The message is really quite clouded by the end, and while you can see what they are going for, the final points they make are perhaps not the same as this of the main episode. It does seem to subvert the anti-capitalist messages of season 10 and of the episode itself, so you're left feeling a bit confused by the message compared to the tone. Do love that Who finally makes bubble wrap actually dangerous, given the sheer amount of it used as aliens in Classic Who. 
I still enjoy the story, though, and it's really fun to see 13 in a story like this. I'm really curious what you thought about it. You've got a couple of excellent stories to come. Disagree. So I'm excited <laughs> for those. <laughs> Recorded the Ben episode of Companion play, companion Piece yesterday, by the way, so looking forward to y'all hearing it. Nice. Boom. I'll listen to that on my web. Everything he said that he liked, I didn't disagree there's like they spoke to a lot of the comedy stuff and i think it kind of speaks to this episode of how confusing the writing is and how everybody is there's this dichotomy of is it for capitalism or against capitalism and that i think is just that's where the shitty writing is primarily who the fuck knows (laughs) what's going on i don't think it makes a comment on capitalism at all what no he did. He said that exact same thing. He was like, that's... No, I'm saying the. I don't think the episode did. Oh, the episode. Right. I don't think there was really... I think it was just inspired by, you know, Amazon-style business. And he's just like, well, let's make a horror story yeah. with an Amazon-style business. And everybody else just kind of made interpretations. Yeah. And it is portrayed, even at the end, as, like, the bad guy. Like, it's, it still has to change for the for the world to change and so that's the ending thing is them saying we're going to change but but they're not saying like we're going to end capitalism they're saying we're going to just try better to not be evil like it's it's not letting the evil corporation off the hook it's still saying this is an evil corporation why is the corporation evil i didn't get that (laughs) yes they won't hire more people to work for them Yeah. Right, that, that's such a weird thing to wrap my head around too. <laughs> but I mean, the same thing people bitch about Amazon, like uh, putting small businesses out, like uh, you know, automating stuff so you could hire less people, less drivers, less workers. You know, killing brick and mortar stores. Sorry, I'm incredibly stupid. Can someone tell me what capitalism <laughs> is? Because I am not. I'm, getting... I'm just editing out everything after the word stupid. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, just, I'm sorry. I'm incredibly stupid. And then just Alex singing the song. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it just large corporations taking out smaller businesses become a monopoly of whatever it is? No, monopolies are illegal, although they happen everywhere. So, like, the easiest way to define it is business is untouched and uncontrolled by the government everybody can go out create a business and make money their own way without people fucking with you that's yeah. that's capitalism it's just go a out and make money a nation's industry is run privately privately so, for profit right but this is still it's a regular business there's nothing in here saying that oh we're in against the government we're on our own type of thing it's like they probably had an idea it was passed it's great it's just their ethics of what they're doing in the business is not sound for what's going on with the rest of everything else. Yeah, but but that's not what they're saying. They're saying that the the episode is letting them off the hook and saying that the evil corporation is actually the good guy. Right, which is what happened, but it's not No, it did not. I'm not I'm not getting the connection to capitalism at all in this episode because again there's nothing saying like oh my god you're going against the galaxy's corporation of government or whatever like that it's just that this business itself their ways of doing it of once they've evolved their business they're more heavily robotic done because everything can be done at a faster speed right that's the one the one company is an analogy for all of capitalism I just don't see it because, again, there's no connection to it in it. I also don't. Well, I mean, this entire galaxy is in ruin because everyone's poor. But is it? Like, we don't see that. So I think that's the problem is <laughs> right. we don't see the other 90%. Well, that's... Um, so I'm trying to find the one that says, okay, so uh, that leads me into Chris's email uh, tweet. I mean, Chris at this email trash says, uh, only had time to watch half of it today, but on broadcast, this was my favorite in the series. 
I suppose because it's the most Doctor Who of all the episodes. But re-watching these, it's gone down a bit in my rankings. It shouldn't be that hard, especially for Doctor Who, to make an anti-capitalist, anti-corporation story. This feels like it goes in the exact opposite direction, especially when compared to stories like The Sunmakers or, more recently, Oxygen. The overall message feels very off for what the show is normally, but that being said, the episode is still incredibly fun for what it is, and the characters are a delight. Lee Mack feels like stunt casting and also incredibly wasted, but for what he gets, he's still amazing. Kira deserves so much better. She was just so adorable. Despite the cast being great, it adds to a point made before that the stories feel very closed off from the rest of the universe. This is an entire moon, the largest workforce in the galaxy, and yet we only see about eight employees. There should be loads of extras with no lines just in the background in every department, people just going about their work while the main team are doing the investigating, but instead there's no one. I love the Kerbap... <laughs> I love the Kerblam men, and you can tell that the writer had a lot of fun with this, and that he's very clearly a big fan of the show. Also, having worked in warehouses, it is definitely that dull, and the managers are not as caring as they are in this. And the other workers are certainly not as charming as Kira. Overall, this is a good fun story that you'll have a good time with if you want a decent Jody episode. But the political message it's trying to send is very broken. I do still like it, though but I am looking forward to the next couple of weeks coming up. You know, I kind of, I kind of disagree with, with like, there should have been more people. Like it said that you, you said that. No, no, no. To what they're saying, there should have been more people in the scenes. I think they hit it pretty good on what was in the scenes, because if you think about it, there's only 10% of people in every department everywhere. That's not a whole lot. So it's not going to be a full lobby of <laughs> 10% greeters. 10% of what? What? 10% of what? 10% of every department is human. Right. So there's not a lot of, of people. What? 10% could still be a million people. Yeah, it's They're not saying what is 10% of. Well, there's 10,000 people working there. Organic and workers. And it's a moon. There's only 10,000 people on a moon? Like, that's not a <laughs> lot of people. Okay, but I wanted to use that to illustrate your point that we should have seen, if we're supposed to feel bad about what this corporation is doing, which I don't think we are, we should have seen what the rest of the galaxy is living like. Yes. I. It would have been nice to see the planet or, yeah, like you said, the rest of the galaxy. And that's why I say this... The writer's not trying to make any political statement at all. He's just trying to make a comedy about how depressing it is to work in a warehouse. And how the good people can't take it because it's too depressing of a place. So they either become shitty like everyone else, or they leave. I.e., in a story, you write that they die horribly. Why is it a warehouse thing? Like, any job can be depressing if it's routine, mundane, whatever. I think it's easy to... I wouldn't be surprised if the original script wasn't a warehouse, but I think it's easier to show on screen, like in a TV studio. Like, oh, we could build a warehouse, because the TV studio basically is a warehouse. I'm a very analytical person who likes to do... Like, I like checklists. And I think working in a warehouse looks amazing. It's just a giant checklist. Well, if you're in charge, <laughs> yes. If you're one of the workers, it is boring as hell. Again, I watch Amazon TikToks, like packaging TikToks <laughs> for fun. I enjoy it. I really liked working at Pepsi when I was in college. And then after years of like sitting in an office all day, I was like, man, I love just to have a job where I have a set amount of work to do. And it's just whenever the job's done, you go home instead of this like staring at a clock, sitting in an office. And then I went back and did that for a little while for a different company. And it was awful. <laughs> and I hated every second of it. And I immediately <laughs> went back to working in an office. <laughs> I just think work is trash. It doesn't matter what you do. Work is Exactly. Trash. That's my point. It doesn't have to be a warehouse. Nick of Forest Focus at Jury of Underscore One says this app has a lot going for it. Really well written environment with a very contemporary interrogation of automation and corporate treatment of workers. She gets it. With a strong <laughs> guest cast and really good production design slash cinematography, it's nice it's nice that this area is starting to feel able to slip in references to its own past, which were a bit sparse so far. 
but it's great to see the return of the Fez. I also find it really hard to rewatch because the ending feels so incongruous, not only with the rest of Doctor Who, think how Oxygen was openly anti-capitalism, uh, she doesn't get it, but with the rest <laughs> of itself. I find the ending really frustrating for just making no sense and seeming to be pro-Amazon and more critical of workers who protest their working conditions than those who create those conditions. It really spoils the app for me, unfortunately. Again, I don't know if that was a protest. That dude was murdering people. Yeah, again, for me, <laughs> right. it was about one dude who is a mass murderer. People yeah. there liked their jobs. Probably not everybody, but, like, the the HR lady was pleasant. Like, you can't not like her. But that's kind of more to what I was talking about, like, um, in Gridlock and in Lie of the Land. We've had this same conversation where, like, in dystopian futures what they show is like a population that has just accepted the situation and like just carrying on. So like in gridlock, they're all trapped on that um, motorway in those cars. And we were wondering like, why would they do that? But they're, they're so beaten down by the circumstances of their life that they're holding on to any kind of hope. And so like, that's what sustains them, even though it's a terrible existence. And so like in this case, you know, these people that are there, they're the lucky ones, even though it's a shitty job or whatever. They're the 10%. And so, like, the the goal of this society, they've achieved it. Nah, I mean? It's wild. All right, I'm going to read a tweet from Mr. J.A. Courtney, or James Courtney. But first, we got a tweet from Neither the Time Nor the Space who say, I can't contribute anything as I haven't seen this episode, but if you could attribute all of James Courtney's ideas and comments to me rather than him so I look smart, that'd be greatly appreciated. So, here's James A. Courtney's tweets written by Neither the Time Nor the Space. I quite enjoyed this episode on first watch. It's my favorite of the sci-fi stories this series, and that hasn't changed after a rewatch. There are plenty of ideas in it, although I'm not sure they all entirely mesh together. After having read about the behind-the-scenes of this era, I'm not so surprised. This was the first series of Doctor Who to use a writer's room, instead of just having the showrunner responsible for changing scripts. A writer for a future episode talked about how different ideas were added to their script from different writers, and I wonder if that is what happened here, and in many of the stories of this era. They so often lack the clarity of focus of past eras. The main story of this episode is about Charlie, who, similar to last week's episode, has been radicalized by events before the story started. However, another branch of the episode is about how nice Charlie and Kira are. Pete McTeague succeeds in doing this and making two very believable characters. However, that then works against the revelation that Charlie is a domestic terrorist, or revolutionary, depending on who you ask, trying to change his world's systems. Similarly, setting the episode in an Amazon-style warehouse obfuscates that story, whereas a simplified version, such as him just being a disgruntled employee, would have provided a clear solution. For the story as it is to work, you would need to expand it to a two-parter, ring the bell, and properly <laughs> allow us <laughs> to explore the society some more. You'd set the second episode on the homeworld, here's your idea, Alex, where you could then dig into the ethical ideas behind the story. Lastly, I can't help but like the beautiful irony of the line, it's not the system that's the problem, but the people, verbatim, is applied to capitalism, as I'm used to seeing it applied to the Soviet Union. Same thing. I reckon that line could have a whole podcast in itself. It kinda did. Anyway, looking forward to next week. It's my favorite episode of the series. Ooh. And with any luck, I will have read the novelization by then as well. That's right, that just came out. Nice. They made a book about an episode? They would do novelizations. They did it for all the classic uh, Who's, because a lot of them, like, they didn't have reruns or stuff, so they'd write novelizations of the episodes. Um, and it's this company called Target, so they're called, like, the Target novelizations. Mm -hmm. And they recently started doing them for new ones. Well, I'll be a monkey's uncle. Uh, Alex, give me the MVP theme song. MVP. <laughs> Terry, who's your MVP? I am going with Judy Maddox, who was played by Julie Hasmanhog. I hope. Jesus. <laughs> it's Hasmanhog. <laughs> uh, mostly because of her wonderful um, HR vibes of being happy and peppy and like, welcome to everything. But then at the same time, she just like surprises you by ripping off the head of this robot and it's like dear Twice. god this woman's got 
like gangster side and she did her it outfit twice. uh was business suit with uh sneakers and that reminded me a lot of tenant but she was just more schlumpy looking and it just it matched really great <laughs> schlumpy yeah rip julie has model huh? <laughs> <laughs> alex who's your mvp uh i'm gonna give it to uh the actress that played kira because she the way that she played that character was so good it made me so sad i didn't write it down but compared to like how snarky and shitty her bridgerton character is she's got a lot of range boom claudia jesse is her name jill who's your mvp I kind of want to go with the dude that played Charlie. I didn't think he was that great, but I really had no idea it was him. So he did a good job, Leo I guess. Leo Flanagan. Okay. He did a good job of playing the kind of two parts of the character, I guess. His normal acting was good, and his evil acting I absolutely hated. Just me, maybe. He's just too sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, what you got? I'm going to go with Claudia as well because she was just a little ray of sunshine in a, a depressed rain cloud. Cody, who's your MVP? Uh, I, I'm with Alex on this one. Like, uh, She played the only character that I think had some real development. I kind of felt for, felt for her now, when she died. You're not the first person to say this in this podcast. What development does she have? Okay, so when you meet her, she she kind of seems like oh fuck, man, you caught me. You're right. So she seems <laughs> she, like a happy really person, but you learn about like her background and her history and what has made her a positive person. So you mean development a, is in like production development, well, like she has a backstory. Yeah, a backstory. Right. That's, it was they spent. Okay. She spent the time, or the writer gave her the lines, and she acted them out very well and she spent the time making all the viewers understand where she's coming from and like really come to like her like she fleshed herself out she didn't really develop she didn't change as a character but everybody else could have just fucking blown up you know like ryan in particular what graham (laughs) yeah well for mine i was really close to going with the like anxiety ridden old drone or like old kerblam man the that little ball oh yeah oh he, yeah he was great um but no i'm going with pete mcteague i think uh Boo. this episode is expertly written <laughs> and hilarious and i think it's on purpose if that be the case this is ah yeah absolutely Wait, speaking about the old Kerblam robot, I loved how he was so concerned. He's like, no, all I do is deliveries. And they're like, well, deliver <laughs> us the information. He's like, hmm, oh. I can do that. I love I that. Like, he has a line in there where he's like, the future is terrible. <laughs> I thought oh, he was the like, the future I don't... is confusing. Yeah, confusing. Yeah. All right, I'll see me that fun fact theme song. All right, I don't really have any fun facts, but I do have some fun things about the actors who I always look at. Um, Julie Hasmonda was Judy Maddox. <laughs> she was Trish Winterman in eight episodes of Broadchurch, so we got another Broadchurch connection. She's also Cleo Whitaker in Cucumber and Banana, so she's worked for RTD. She's also in the series The A-Word last year with Christopher Eccleston. So she's got a lot of Doctor Who ties. Leo Flanagan was Charlie. And last year he played Robbo in the movie Rare Beasts, written and directed by Billy Piper. Matthew Gravel was the voice of the Kerblam Man. He's also in Broadchurch as Joe Miller for 18 episodes. He's also a prolific video game voice actor. He's been in all the new Hitman games, the Dragon Age games, and he's also in an episode of Torchwood where he played a character called Doctor. Oh, dang. A character called oh, the Doctor. Just Doctor. No oh, the. just Doctor. It is now time 
for a brand new game. Yay! We're doing... Cody, I'm going to need a little production value out of you. Uh-oh. I'm going to need you to create a couple of voice channels for us, because you're going to have to go into your own channels with your teams, because we're doing a pub quiz. We have two channels right now, general and tech support. Oh, well, do you want one of you to be in the same channel that me and Terry are in? Because Terry's playing too. He's just on a team by himself. Oh, oh brilliant. <laughs> Sorry, Terry. Terry. Get married. It's not my fault. We need one more uh, channel. Hold on. <clears throat> yep. uh, be a voice channel. Okay. Can you do it without talking? No. What, what should I name it? <laughs> oh, wait. Doesn't matter. Channel 2. Uh, Electric that's Boogaloo. Dumb. That's dumb. Jill and Alex. Uh, ugh, God damn it. Bad. I hate, I hate that name. I do of too. The channel. You're going to need some kind of notepad open so you can write down your answers. Oh, I'll be back. Well, I mean, like, uh, you have a notepad on your computer. You could type it on your computer, Terry. Oh, oh my yeah. God. I have one on my phone. I love Terry. Yeah, you have a phone. <laughs> We're doing an old-fashioned pub quiz. I have eight questions and a tiebreaker. I will ask you a question, give you an amount of time. It's not going to be a lot. It's going to, you know, 30 to 60 seconds. Um, I'll go into each of your channels to ask you the question, and then... Just write down your answer, and after all the questions have been asked, we'll go through the answers. You guys keep your own score, and most points wins. Ooh, this sounds real good. And break it up teams into married, so it's Cody and Sam, and it's Jill and Alex. Oh, God. That We're and so Terry's on team by himself, because he's a lonely boy. Lonely boy, it's no. true. Someone date me. Terry's the <laughs> right, best so of I, us. We need to protect him. I will ask the first question, then go into your channels and discuss it. And keep recording, because I want... Uh, you know, I'll pick some stuff to put in. Uh, first question will start off easy, and I'll give you a long time because it's a lot of typing. Name every actor, first and last name, to have portrayed the Doctor since the series came back in 2005. Easy. <laughs> Pretty much the stuff we've watched. Now go into your channels. One point for each correct answer. Are we? Are we? Are we in our channel? Yep, we're in our channel. All right, so obviously Eric Middleton. What? <laughs> no. Chris Eccleston. The second one is uh, David Tennant. Yep. The third one is Matthew Smith. Peter Capaldi. Duh. Well, do it in order, man. Well, I don't know. That's what I was asking. Is it Matt no, Smith or David Tennant? David Tennant. Then Matt Smith. But then we've got Peter Capaldi. Peter Capaldi. Jody Whitaker. Jody Whitaker. What's the name of the word doctor? I don't know. Um It was like What? Isn't everyone gonna get this right? How's this a game? For some reason, like the Rip Torn guy, he's got a name like Rip Torn or like Burns. <laughs> Or like big red. I don't. It's just, just his face makes me think he's got like this old country western fucking name, and I can't think of it. I'm thinking more along the lines of like he has like more of a normal name, like it's like John something. Oh shit, John. Ooh, yeah. but then they all they like all came back. Time is up. Next question. The Ice Warriors come from which planet? I have no idea. Sk- Skarn? No. Mars, wait. Mars. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's it. Good job. I said, or is it Uranus? Oh, you got me. Which doctor said, 900 years of time and space and I've never been slapped by somebody's mother? I've never been slapped by someone's mother? Like, I, I assume we need to know who said it. At- Sounds like a Matt Smith thing. Like which doctor? I don't know. It to me it kind of sounds like a tenant thing. I was between Smith and Tenant, but I I was really leaning towards Smith. I I'm I think Tenant. All right, guys. The next one is what were the last words spoken by the tenth Doctor before he regenerated? Okay, guys. The Doctor has which type of TARDIS? 
It's Type Blank TARDIS. Okay, in 2010, when the new season aired, which item received a 94% increase in sales in the United Kingdom? Okay, guys, in 2008, an episode included two guest stars who would later be cast in major roles on the show. Who are they? And for a bonus point, what is the name of the episode? Okay, guys, how many operators is the TARDIS meant to have? This is the tiebreaker if we need it. How much did the TARDIS prop from the 2005 season go for when it was auctioned off in 2010? Closest wins. So the first one, name every actor to portray the Doctor in the new series since 2005. You get a point for each one. Christopher Eccleston. Damn it. David Tennant. (laughs) Is he being serious? Yeah, he yes. could remember. I could not remember him. <laughs> I could Eric only think Middleton? Jason Segal. Oh my god. What? Oh David? My god. That's great. Lord it's of Seagull. Health, this boy. David Tennant. Matt Smith. Peter Capaldi. Jody Whittaker. John Hurt. John! I told it you. It was John. And oh. David Bradley. Do we get first names? Because I insisted it was John. Who is, who is the David Bradley one? He played the first Doctor in the last episode for Peter Capaldi. Oh. Okay, but really, do first names count? Oh, that's right. I did say first and last when we asked the question. Wait a minute. So we get a half point? Are you missing one? He's Alex said the War Doctor. That's John, John Hurt. That's John. that's John Hurt. Oh, what about the two two Christmases? David Bradley. Oh, okay. Then, then yeah. what about then? What about? Oh, I suppose are we not including the shorts because we did see the transformation into the War Doctor? I said in the new series, not in internet minisodes. Okay, all right. And it's a point. It, it wasn't per... a television broadcast. Okay, so we get half a point for John for sure. No. Yes. <laughs> Five. Not if there's a tie. <laughs> if you're losing, I'll give you half a point. Um. Uh, the Ice Warriors come from which planet? Mars. Mars. Yeah. Cody got that it one. It is Mars. I was really impressed. Good job, Cody. I'm a smart boy. He was a smart boy. <laughs> Terry wouldn't have got this because he couldn't even remember that doctor's name, and I don't think he's ever seen this season. Which doctor said, 900 years of time and space and I've never been slapped by someone's mother? Okay, the answer is the ninth doctor, Christopher Eccleston. Hey. Sweet. All right, cool. It makes sense because there's a mom in that whole season. Surprise. Yeah, and that's the part where he like after she after he says that Rose goes, "You're so gay." <laughs> it's like, "Whoa. <laughs> what a weird thing." Um what were the last words spoken by the 10th Doctor before he regenerated? It's I don't want to go. Holy know. shit, I got that. Hey, Terry's in. <laughs> The doctor has which type of TARDIS? Is it a... I was guessing. Type 3? No. Mobile? He has a type 40 TARDIS. Oh. But will you accept Omega? (laughs) Strangely, yes. (laughs) Okay. In 2010, when the new season aired, which item received a 94% increase in sales in the UK. It has to be Fez, right? It's like the only thing that would increase no. that much. Yeah, we didn't even deliberate this one. It's bow ties. Oh. oh. Damn it. Oh. We're on the right track, Sam. Dang it. Um... In 2008, an episode included two guest stars who would later be cast in major roles in the show. Who are they? And for a bonus point, what is the name of the episode? They are Karen Gillan, Peter Capaldi. Fires of Pompeii. And the episode is Fires of Pompeii. Woo! Sam oh, is insane. Fuck. I, I forgot they were in the same episode. Yeah. Do you, damn it. Do you count a point for each name or? Point? Nope. The question is which two? That's one point, And then the episode is one point. Oh, so if I only got Karen Gillum and not the the cute Car- well, her name's not Karen, Karen Gillum, who? so you get no points. <laughs> Poor Terry. So when you say guest cast, I assume it's like super famous, and Karen Gillan wasn't super famous at that time, was she? 
How many operators is the TARDIS meant to have? Six. Three? Damn. It is a hexagon, the control panel. Mm. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Get out of here with your logic. I thought it was just a circle. Nope. It's hexagon. They bring it up in Donna's last episode when they're all towing the earth back home and they're all flying it together. Well, yeah, the feel-good moments. Yeah. What are those How many points like? everyone have? Add them up. Nine points. Oh, we have eight. I didn't win. I didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> Terry folds. Nobody look at his cards. Uh, Cody and Sam are the winners, but let's do the bonus question anyway for fun. How much did the TARDIS prop from the 2005 season go for when it was auctioned off in 2010? I first... Um, con- used inflation to put it into today's pounds and then converted it into dollars. So, who's got a guess? We guessed $99,999. Oh, is that what we went with? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we're way over that. Is this a Jeopardy thing? <laughs> What's your answer, Alex? We say $1.25 million. Holy, Holy shit. Holy shit. <laughs> Terry? I thought I was being way too extravagant. I said 67,000. Terry is the closest. It's $18,385. Oh <laughs> That's what, it. Is, people don't give a shit about collectible <laughs> paraphernalia or what? <laughs> what is this bullshit? Cody, what dicks. I said 50,000, you jerk. You were absolutely wrong. It's clearly 18,000. <laughs> Alex said 1.2. You could buy the Death Actually, Star for that I much did. money. <laughs> Alex disagreed, but he didn't write a different price down. Cody and Sam are the winners of our inaugural pub quiz. Hey, Hey. when do I send out the plaque? Uh, We'll we'll just keep it here for now. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Alex, give me the song. This has been Married to Who, our episode on Kerblam. Sorry, Kerblam! Um, if you want to participate in our episodes, you can do so by following us on Twitter, Married to Who Pod. You can follow us on Instagram at Married to Who, or you can email us, Married to Who at gmail.com. If you want to listen to this podcast, you can do so on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or you can go on our website, Married to Who.com. On behalf of myself, Jake, Cody, Sam, Jill, and Alex, and our producer, Terry, thank you so much for listening. Please join us next week for The Witch Finders. Beep, <laughs>